We're in Romans 14, and we're going to be starting in verse 13, in this beautiful book that is about what? What's Romans about? The gospel, Jesus? What's Romans about? What have we talked about week after week after week? You don't have to raise your hand. The church? Absolutely, it's about the church. Matter of fact, specifically the last few weeks, it's been exactly about this is now what it looks like to live as a Christian, right? What's Romans about? It's about God, gospel, what else? Has anybody been here? Have I been preaching to an empty room? Or an empty people? Oh, no, zing. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Um, I, I, I know you're not used to actually speaking when I'm speaking. Love? A big one, right? We're there again this week. What are some words that you remember that we've gone through in the first 11, 12, 13, 14 chapters of Romans? Grace? It's a huge one. What else? What's one of the first ones that we just get over and over the first few chapters? No one's good. Sin? Right? That's, that's the... The, the, the big term, three, three letters means so much, right? It's three letters, but no one is good. It says not even one. No one seeks after God. It's not just in Romans, but that's actually quoting from the Old Testament. I mean, it's everywhere. You don't get to be in a certain, you know, area, uh, place of time, you know, some paradigm in the world in which, no, no, that's when all the people are good, except for right at the very sliver of the beginning. Where God makes people and says they are what? At the very beginning of the Bible, they are? People are very good, right? Everything in creation is good. He makes people. What makes us very good? We bear his image. That's right. Other words you find in Romans, you remember. You can go ahead. Flip back in your Bible. Look around. Faith. Faith is huge. Romans 4. Who's it about? It's about Abraham, but ultimately it's about God because he has faith. And therefore, the chapter is not about Abraham's faith, but about who the faith is in that is God. Right. I mean, that's so Abraham and his faith is, is a huge part, not just for Abraham, but then for us. It is those who have faith who are no longer what? Chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. What other words come up? Redemption. Over and over. What's that? Forgiveness. Yeah. Even, even when we don't see the words sin, we see sin all over the place. Even when we don't see the words forgiveness, forgiveness all over the place. You know, so even when we see faith, faith is sometimes described in different ways or we see examples of those kinds of things. So even when we see the words and they're there and then they tell us of that, but there's so many places that are now filling that out and describing it so beautifully. Any other words that stick out or, or ideas or, or verses? What's that? Imputation. Imputation? Yeah, it's a good question. The imputed righteousness of Christ that we get what is Christ's, 
We, are, are, are we accepted by God because of our righteousness? How many of us would be accepted by God because of our righteousness? Only Bob Melhorn, that's right. Only Bob Melhorn. <laughs> Sorry. That's what happens when you're the one that's making eye contact with the pastor when I'm looking around the room. <laughs> Which means he's pretty much the only one making eye contact with the pastor. Um, yeah, so, so we have what's called an alien righteousness. The scriptures say we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, isn't it? Clothed. We are not righteous in ourselves. We are declared righteous because of the imputed righteousness of Christ. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Um, and we could keep going on and on. There's all sorts of things. I encourage you, just, just file back as the weeks go by. Take, take one day a week, you know, where you're, just open up Romans and, and look back and see where we've gone and remember some of these things. Um, they, are, they are very, very important. And if we don't keep looking, we'll just kind of keep passing on like, oh, there's something new. We'll just go on to what's new. What's old is always what's best. That some of the best books I've ever read are by people who've been long dead, right? Um, namely, the Bible. Everybody in the Bible is dead except for God, right? And his spirit is working, which is why the Bible still is so living even after all these years. But it's the same with those who God has worked through and, and pastors and theologians and, and, and great Christians of the past who have written books, those who have been faithful and who have written theologically strong things. There's been a lot of bad stuff too. Um, but the only reason their books continue to have value is because they're just pointing back to the book, right? You want your book to have power. Point to the book that has power. Otherwise, there's just weakness there. So the gospel and, and grace and forgiveness, and truth, there's no condemnation. We have justification before God because of Christ. All of these things are true. And then starting in Romans 12, we start to see the transition, right? The theological now starts to turn to the practical. If, if we don't start with who God is and what God has done, then we're going to get who we are and what we do wrong. Who we are without Christ is lost. What else? Dead. Good one. I keep waiting for somebody to say sinner, but you guys are saying better words. That's good. Uh, what? Without hope. Yeah. That's who we are without Christ. That's our identity. So who is God? He's creator. He's holy. He's perfect. He makes us perfect. He makes us in the image of God. What has God done? After making all of this, he makes us and then we sin, but he begins to make these promises this is what God does. He promises to bring a redeemer and he sends his son, Jesus. And then who are we? Well, without Christ, we are, we're sinners. We're without hope. We're dead. We're, we're helpless. Except that what God has done is bring Christ so that who we now are, our identities can be changed. When you're in, when you're in school, we were talking, we had conferences this week with teachers to find out how evil our children are. And uh, we were like, duh. Um, and we have conferences and, you know, I, I can't remember who it was specifically, maybe, maybe uh, one of the high school teachers, but we were talking about how, how kids kind of react and respond to their teachers and how they react and respond to each other. And start, I started thinking about peer pressure and start thinking about, you know, kind of who your identity is. And then I, I think I made the statement to Molly and to this teacher. I said, I said, when I look back upon my high school years, I remember my friends, I still have a lot of them as friends, but we don't go do a bunch of stuff 
together. You know, we don't live super close, but even when I see them, it's like, hey, what's up? I'm glad you got kids too. That's cool. Bye. You know, they kind of move on. And friends change and times change. And our kids see these friends and they're like, this is all of the world. And it's like, no, no, no. It's all going to change. Then I went to college and it was like, wow, now this is everything. These are my friends forever. This is what, yeah, well, they, a good thing we have Facebook. Otherwise, I wouldn't be in contact with hardly any of them, right? Because it's just, we're, we don't live near them. Even the ones that we live somewhat close to, we just don't find that much time to get together. And the world changes and the, we move and now we have different friends. And who knows, you know, some of you move away. You have friends here and you're with them all the time. All of a sudden you're going to move away and you're going to have new friends. And we're going to try to email each other once or twice. And you're going to go, well, my time, my effort, my, my relationships are here. And I'll be saying the same thing. Sometimes people move and then they want to have me to keep kind of acting like their pastor. And I'm like, you moved away. I love you. I want to keep in touch with you. But I don't have an hour a week to spend on the phone. You Join a church. What are you doing? You know, go join a church. Have your faith community there. Have those relationships there. You need that. They need you. Just kind of going on and on here. My point is identity changes because of who we are in life and where we are and what stage. And, and, and so our identity can change. And then, you know, when, when the kids look at each other in school, you can point to that kid. Those of you who are in high school specifically or middle school, you can point to that kid and that kid is the bad one, or that kid is the one who cusses, or that kid is the one who steals, or that one's the one who's rolling fatties on the bus, or that one is the one who's, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And you know what I'm talking about, right? The ones who are giggling like this? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. There's, there's identities that you have in Christ. Our identity changes. If I go back and see my high school friends, guess who they think I am? Some of them think I'm the golfer or the average student or the one who didn't have, like, tons of popularity, but I wasn't unpopular. I was kind of in the middle, one of those middle ground kind of people who just got okay grades. And I did good at sports, and that was, I was kind of known for that. And I was the one who always asked out the good-looking girls, and they were always like, <laughs> you know, nice try. I was like, oh... And then one day I asked a good-looking girl out, and she went out with me. And then I was like, I'm going to marry her really fast because <laughs> this doesn't happen very often to me. And, uh, and she's sitting right there, right? And um, So, you know, our identities, our identities are found in different things. And my high school friends would, would remember me as certain, certain things that I've done. And I remember them that way. I remember the way they acted in class or the way they acted out in class. The way they treated other people. There's a guy I recently found on, uh, on Facebook, because where else are you going to find him, right? Um, I found him, and I remember that was, the, that was the guy who used to just ridicule me. This just, just cruel. And then I think, I, I wonder if he's still like that. I just wonder, I just wonder is, he, is he different or is, this, is he the same? We tend to treat them as they're always that person that we once knew. Right? I mean, that's how we treat people. I might have told, told the story here before, I don't remember, but there was, as a, a high schooler especially, I was, I was really big into golf, I was, I was good, I wasn't great, but I was good at it, and uh, one of my friends, um, his name was Brad, and we were playing in this tournament, and he and this other kid in the group were cheating, and I, I had to call him, it's a tournament, you pay money, and you traveled for an hour, you can't just say, well, just do whatever you want, I don't care, 
you know, and they were, they were both cheating, and so I had to call them out on it. And I spent the rest of the round fearing what they were going to do with their driver, right? Because they were threatening specific things that they were going to do with their golf clubs upon me. And he was a good friend, and now all of a sudden I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in fear. Good thing my dad was following me, or I could have been wrapped around a tree somewhere, right? And so our relationship was over, and so for all the years that had gone by, I just thought about this kid that way and, and how awful that was, just ridiculous, and they were the ones that were cheating, not me, and, you know, because I had to call them out for it, I, I somehow get ridiculed for being the one who's trying to do it by the rules, try to make it fair for everybody, I'm like, what's, what's, and so, I'm, so I always made this guy the enemy, and then one day, I, I just happened upon, I think I did a search for his name or something, and I happened upon an article by Baptist Press featuring this guy and telling the story. He was a really, really good golfer. He, he once uh, was uh, paired up with Tiger Woods in a, in a youth tournament and lost to Tiger, as <laughs> a lot of kids did. Um, and the story was about how he was this up-and-coming young golfer, and then one day he found Christ after I met him. Um, he did not know Christ before I met him. He knew Satan and the works of Satan. Um, and now he's an army chaplain. At least that's what the article said, and that was several years ago now. And I've tried to get in touch with him, and I, I still can't find uh, his contact info, and I, the people I've emailed haven't gotten back to me, and I don't know what else to do, who else to contact. But um, just, you just say, I, I thought I knew who he was. And I did, for a while, know who he was. I did discover his sin, but guess what happened in Christ? Christ changed his identity. He's now new. He's new. He's, he starts over because of Christ. It doesn't mean he doesn't have some of the old tendencies. We all do, right? If you're a Christian, you, even though you've maybe seen massive change in your life, you still have some of those same tendencies that you had before. Very frustrating. There's a whole like, passage here that we're going to talk about now. But um, it's this identity that tells us now, starting in Romans 12, now that our identity is in Christ, Everything changes. It's dramatic. It's drastic. It, it is massive. It is you were the person who tried to do all of these awful things and who was an enemy of God. And, and you know, even in your most moral and great and, and world-renowned and, and beloved moments, you were just a mess. And you still ran over people in order to become that popular, famous person. And so Paul, here in Romans, is now explaining, this is, this is your identity, and so this is how you live. Your identity is clear in Christ. You're a living sacrifice, and now this is how you live. And now let's turn to Romans 14, starting in verse 13. This is really... Uh, very much so a, a carryover of the passage from last week. Paul never just kind of throws stuff randomly in there, just leaves it without context. He's, he's giving kind of a flow of argument here. But the entirety of what he's been saying here after Romans 12 is now as a living sacrifice, as one who's being transformed in their minds, now you are going in love. The two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind.